We are Jesus people here at First Baptist New Orleans. We are seeking to be centered in Christ himself. And uh, that focus is a very biblical focus. When the crowds left, Jesus turned to the disciples and said, Will you also go away? You remember the response of Peter? To whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? If we leave you, where are we going to go? To whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. So we have heard the radical call of Christ to follow him, to deny self, take up cross every day and follow him. And we are seeking to do that in word and deed on a daily basis to be his people. Now, Judas left. Jesus said, will you also go away? (laughs) Judas left. But he left really without a place to go. I mean, where do you go if you leave? To whom shall we go? And we'll shortly see how it ended for him. I am in Luke chapter 22. I would encourage you to read the four accounts of the betrayal of Jesus. It is intriguing. It is fascinating scripture to read these different perspectives. It is John who tells us, as soon as Jesus spoke, I am he, the whole crowd fell down when he spoke. They got themselves back together and he said, hey, I told you, I'm he. Who who are you looking for? Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. It is John who tells us that Peter swings his sword and cuts off the ear of Malchus the high priest. We will not have his name in the text I'm about to read. But we know him to be Malchus. Imagine this. In the garden. Jesus speaks. Everybody falls down. They get up. Judas comes up, kisses Jesus. Peter swings his sword, clips off the high priest's ear. Or the servant of the high priest. They put... Jesus in custody, and everybody runs, and Mark tells us that there's this young man there. This is in the Gospel of Mark. Nobody else records this. We think it's Mark saying, hey, I was there too. I was the young guy. I was in the garden. And he tells it, even though it's kind of embarrassing. They tried to grab Mark too, and all they got was his garment, and he ran away naked. That's the story of the betrayal of Jesus. Look in verse 47, Luke 22. While Jesus was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, 
Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. I read some of the accounts of artists trying to paint Judas. Leonardo da Vinci got through with everybody except Jesus and Judas and the benefactor that was supporting his painting of the Last Supper had to get after him to finish. And he said, I just don't know how to paint Judas. This is the painting of Michelangelo. It's on one of the art tours in Italy. It's striking, isn't it? What did this man look like who was part of the group for three years? And when Jesus said to him, follow me, he said, I will. Maybe this captures something of the humanity of the man who turned him over to the soldiers that day. I thought about Judas' betrayal of Jesus because I want to make sure that everybody knows it's still possible to betray him and people still do. And just to pull out a few things about betrayal of Jesus that are evident in the life of Judas and may come up in your life too. Familiar, you see, does not mean faithful. Judas is familiar with Jesus. Somebody said, well, why did they have to identify Jesus in the garden that night? Why couldn't they just get him? Didn't everybody know who he was? That's a really good question. I've been thinking of it ever since it was put to me. Because he was in the temple's courts every day. My thoughts are, you know, Herod never met Jesus. He was eager to meet him. He met him at the trial. He's the one that wanted Jesus to do some tricks for him. So there are people in Jerusalem who have never seen Jesus. 
And he is from Galilee, that typical Galilean robe, the look of the country bumpkin, that accent of the Galilean. There are thousands of them in Jerusalem for this feast. Maybe to the folks in Jerusalem, all Galileans look alike and sound alike. And even if they'd caught a glimpse of Jesus, they wanted to make sure they got their man, the right man. So they found somebody familiar with him. And Judas was that. As familiar as he was with Jesus, that did not mean he was faithful to Jesus. And in the end, he was faithful to his own interests instead of the interests of Jesus of Nazareth. There are people who are familiar with Jesus. They know him pretty well. They have studied the text. They've read the stories. They've heard the preaching and the teaching, and they are familiar with him. And when you mention Jesus, they have content in the image conjured up in their mind. They know some of the things he said by heart and circumstances of his life. Maybe they can tell you about his birth or his baptism. Though they are familiar with him, they've never been faithful to him. There's always been something about Jesus that made them hesitate. Never have they fully committed their life to him. Even though they have made statements about Jesus that are positive, they've never really laid their life down. Familiar. You say, well, it's not unfaithful to hesitate with Jesus. With anybody else, maybe not, but with Jesus it is because the core of his teaching is, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So you can quote some other things. So you know the story of the good Samaritan or the prodigal son. Do you know the point? Jesus worked hard throughout three years of ministry to communicate to his disciples and the crowd that he was not simply a nice guy that you could get familiar with and say good things about and satisfy your relationship with him. He challenges us at every point, on every level, to go beyond the familiar to faith. And if we don't take that step, then we don't get it. Affection is not devotion. Familiar does not mean faithful, and affection does not mean devotion. This burly man, I imagine him to be Judas. He wants to kiss Jesus. It was a traditional greeting of the day. Some people think that when the disciples came to see their rabbi, it was their tradition to kiss him. And it could have been. But Judas says, the one I kiss, he's the one. 
I think he had a genuine affection for Jesus of Nazareth. He knows that Jesus Jesus sent him out. So Jesus already knows he's going to betray him. Judas wants to come into that garden and give Jesus a hug and a kiss and say, I love you, man. I love you, man. He wants to express affection for Jesus. Nothing personal. And people like that abound in the world who read of Jesus of Nazareth and their hearts are stirred and their emotions are stirred. And they read his words and they see what he did and it is a moving thing for them. They have an affection for Jesus of Nazareth and it's easy to do. What a compelling figure in history. When you read through the New Testament, I mean, he startles you, he amazes you, he challenges you on every hand. When I read the words of Jesus, I walk away like the crowds did and say, nobody ever talked like him. His presence, through his words, his life, disturb us. And we have an affection for him which I think Judas had. But in the end, he was not devoted to Jesus. It was an affection without devotion. Everybody at the table liked Jesus, loved Jesus. But... When Jesus said, one of you will betray me, they all had to look in here. I wish I could say to you, Judas is a solitary figure in, he- in history and nobody follows his steps. Familiar, but not faithful. Affection, but no devotion. I wish I could tell you that it was a unique case. But we don't get two steps into the New Testament era before there's Ananias and Sapphira pretending to love God while they're lying in their pockets. And Demas, a member of the church and a prominent member who loves this present world and left. And over and over again the story goes. In fact, John the Apostle finally has to tell the church, look, they left because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they left. It is the perplexing situation of of the Hebrews who are being addressed in the book of Hebrews that there were folks in the church who, when the trouble came, decided to leave. I mean, when it became inconvenient to call themselves by the name of Jesus, when it threatened their job or their finances or their property or maybe their health, When it was inconvenient and challenging to bear the name of Jesus, they just dropped it and disappeared back into the world. Just like Judas. 
affection but no devotion. And so the writer of Hebrews has to communicate to the church that, listen, faith has staying power. And when you're devoted to the Savior, you stick in there. Even when the going gets tough and it takes all the hide and it costs you more than you ever thought it would. Because we, like Judas, are often confronted with the possibility that our allegiance to Jesus has become very costly. Relationships begin to be strained. Possibilities we thought were ours are there no longer if we follow him. Opportunities come our way that compromise what Jesus speaks to us as Lord. And sometimes we discover we are a people with affection, but no devotion. And we only follow when it's easy. Cooperation does not mean consent. Affection does not mean devotion, and cooperation does not mean consent. You know what Judas does for the twelve? He's the treasurer. He's got the money. They had a common pool. They all put their nickels and dimes in one bag. And that's all they had was nickels and dimes. But Judas held a bag. John tells us later on that he helped himself to the bag whenever he needed a popsicle or a candy bar. He just reached in there and got one for himself. Judas is the one who objects when the very expensive perfume is poured on the feet of Jesus. It's Judas back there in the back grumbling. Oh, what's this woman doing with that perfume? Who does she think she is? I mean, what's the problem, Judas? Well, 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 this perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor. And John makes a notation. Judas said this, not because he cared for the poor, but because he'd like to have that money in the bag where he could get it. Because he was a thief. So we see this thing in Judas even before the betrayal, that he's very interested in his own interests. And there's a priority here about him. I think Judas has the notion, if you don't take care of yourself, who will? you got to take care of number one. So Judas cooperates with the group. But cooperation, as we find out at the end, does not mean consent or commitment. I was speaking with a man this week at a luncheon who told me about a man in his church who for 17 years he talked to, witnessed to, And the man came often to church 
and listen to the preaching. And after 17 years of speaking to this man, he actually came broken, repenting of sin, and trusted Jesus as Savior. And he confessed to the pastor, I have often sat in the Sunday school class seeking to undermine the faith of those present. I wasn't there to help them. I was there to shake them. Everybody knows being part of an organization does not mean you've bought in. It doesn't mean you've made your full commitment. Being part of this body in this room today does not necessarily mean everyone here has taken the step of commitment to Christ. Let me tell you where I think the rub came for Judas. I believe that Judas was zealous for the liberty of Israel and that he personally chaved, as many good Jews did, under the yoke and heel of Rome. That he longed for his people to be free and have self-determination. And that he, like many others, including disciples, saw the kingdom that Jesus announced not as an inner kingdom, a secret kingdom, a kingdom of God within and among us, but the kingdom of David, geographical, territorial, to be instituted again one day, where Jerusalem would be exalted again above all other cities, and all the nations would flow to it. That was in his mind. As it was with many who anticipated the coming of the Messiah, but they thought the coming of the Messiah would mean they were powerful again. They were in charge again. They would have victory again. They'd sit on the thrones. They'd rule over their country. They'd have respect again. They would be exalted. That's what they thought. And when Jesus came riding on that donkey into Jerusalem as the donkey king as the suffering servant of God as the Messiah who lays down his life Judas could not bear that kind of Messiah he wanted another one he wanted a different one. He wanted to be in charge and have lots more money and power and things. And he was willing to follow Jesus, and it's probably why he bought in in the first place. Finally, somebody who can lead the revolt and put us on top. And what's a man do? He lays down his life and dies on a cross and lets them beat him and spit on him and make fun of him and lay his body in a tomb. And lest you suppose 
that the execution and burial of Jesus is not addressed in his teaching, let me remind you to follow him. You want to follow Jesus? You want to be fully devoted? Fully committed? Give your consent? To follow Jesus, he said, is to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. It is Jesus who turned the pyramid upside down. Who said the first shall be last and the last first. It is Jesus who said we are here to serve. It is Jesus said who said the essential is love. Love God, love your neighbor. And what that means is you live as a servant in the world. You know and I know. Not everybody wants that. People don't want that. They want the triumph, not the suffering. They want the victory, not the loss. They want the superiority, not the service. It's in us. It's embedded in our DNA. It runs like a fault line through every human being. The pride and longing to be first. And Jesus strikes at its heart. Why? Why does Jesus strike at the heart of this longing in every human being? Why? Because it is the central evidence of our alienation from God. It is the core of our sin nature. It is the very essence of our brokenness that we want to be first. And so we want to follow Jesus as long as that means more money, more power, more friends. But if it goes south and it means more pain, more suffering, more service, more cost, more laying down of life. Hey, I'm out of here. I thought I knew what you were up to, but I'm not going there. That's what Judas did. He chose the coin over Christ. Hearing, you see, does not mean understanding. Judas heard the teaching. He heard the sermons. He heard the story of the prodigal son, the boy who spent it all, received back into the father's house. He heard the good Samaritan, the man who loved that stranger so extravagantly. He heard it. When he finally thought he understood it, he told the elders and the chief priests, I'll sell him to you. What will you give me? Thirty pieces of silver. Hey, great price. There's a song that says, Thirty pieces of silver 
was the price they paid. Thirty pieces of silver, just the price of a slave. And my heart I have given to the one betrayed. And I know just how much he loved me by the price he paid. Judas got 30 pieces of silver. That's what he got for Jesus. Hey, what did Jesus pay for Judas? Judas got 30 pieces of silver. What did Jesus pay for him? Jesus paid it all. That's, that's what Jesus paid for Judas. Jesus laid it all down. He let it all go. He laid down his life. He suffered the trial the beating, the crucifixion, and the death so that Judas could have fixed in his heart the very thing that caused him to betray Jesus, the self-exaltation, the self-centeredness, the pride that makes me first. Jesus wanted to deliver him from the very thing that was killing him spiritually. But Judas couldn't let it go. And in the end, remorse does not mean peace. It's not as if, if you're sad enough and sorry enough, you get peace in the exchange. Judas left Jesus. He got his money. And he started thinking about what he had done. Scripture says, and this is Matthew's account, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us? They said. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Thirty pieces of silver clanging upon the stones, the pavement in that court. And Matthew says, he went out and hung himself. You see, Peter spoke what Judas experienced. Where do you go when you say no to the one who laid down his life for you? Where do you go? Familiar but not faithful affection with no devotion, cooperation, with no consent. At some point, the burden's too heavy 
The cost is too much. And unless you have stepped all in to make Jesus Lord no matter what, you take the easy way out. And then where you go? You find out there in the world the peace, finally? Does it settle over your soul? No. In the end, to turn your back on Jesus is to be a traitor without a cause or any point for being on the planet. It's time to move from remorse to repentance. Where you say, Lord, I have sinned. And not only that, I'm asking for your forgiveness. I want you to clean up my heart and my life. And I want to give this raggedy life, what's left of it, to you. The whole thing. Everything about it. No strings attached. And from this day, I will call you Lord. And whatever you say, I will do. Let's bow together. Somebody in the room has been thinking a long time. You know a good bit already about Jesus and you have an admiration for him. But you've never stepped into that circle of light and said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. I believe I'm trusting in you. I have no other place to go. This is it for me. So today, would you where you're sitting say, God, I want you in my life. I believe Christ died for me on the cross and was raised the third day and I'm giving my life to you. Forgive me for my sin and make me your child. Lord, we pray today that your Holy Spirit would do a mighty work among us. Call us unto yourself. Show us where we really stand, who we really are. And give us an opportunity again through the drawing of your spirit to trust the Christ of Calvary who laid it all down for us. Amen.